Well, good morning. I send you greetings from California. Uh, we had a wonderful trip, but you know, one of the uh, most uh, precious times in uh, returning to California is just uh, meeting with men and women for the past seven and a half years who have supported the work here at Sunbury City Church. Most of us probably have no idea, but there are men and women who are regularly praying for the work here. There are men and women who are sacrificing fifteen dollars to $20,000 a year so that we can gather, so we can take the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. Because they've caught what the Lottie Moon vision is. They've caught the reality that we should not just be a people for ourselves, but a people that want to see the good news of Jesus Christ extend to the nations. And so I am incredibly grateful for them. It was a wonderful time to just be encouraged and them asking questions of the ministry here and what God is doing here. And so let me just pray, praising the Lord, because we even came back with a, another uh, financial support check for the church here that was unexpected. And so praise the Lord. He blesses in ways that uh, we cannot even imagine. And so let me pray, just praising the Lord for how he has sustained us, for these faithful partners who, who you will never meet until glory. And my hope is that some of you will be able to run up to them and just say, thank you. It was because of your faithfulness I came to faith. Because of your faithfulness I grew in my faith. And so let me just pray, praising the Lord for that and just, again, asking him to work in our time together. Father, what a blessing it is that you have a plan for all of eternity and you are not so disconnected from us but rather you invite us into that plan and you've invited friends relatives of mine uh, to just partake in the work that you're doing in this valley father what a blessing father i pray for those men and women lord would you bless them as they give Father, would you encourage them in their faith, ground them deeply in the truth that their sacrifice is worthy of eternal life. Their sacrifice is worthy of your glory. And now I pray as we uh, turn our attention to your word, Lord, I pray that we come in here excited, come in here expectant that you, the God of the universe, wants to speak to us expectant that you are going to move in mighty ways. And so, Spirit, would you take my words, would you ground them deeply in your truth, and would you press it into our hearts in ways that we cannot even imagine this morning. We pray in your son's precious name. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, we're going to be in verses 1 to 12. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the pew back in front of you. If you're sitting in one of the pews with the white square, it's either black or, or blue. And uh, we are going to be in Romans, which is about three quarters of the way through. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. We're going to be in the ver verses 1 to 12. If you were here last week, you saw us kind of take a, a little bit of an excursion away from Romans because we had to understand the foundation, if you will, to what Paul is going to show us this morning in Romans 4, 1 to 12. And so we were looking at Genesis 15 and how God chose Abraham and he gave him this promise. And in the midst of that promise, he said, hey, come outside. And as Abraham goes outside, he shows him the stars. And he says, that's how many your children will be. And he says, I'm going to bless the nations through you. And we saw at the end of Genesis 15, God uh, make a covenant with Abraham, which, which is just a beautiful covenant because it's a commitment from God and Abraham does nothing. In fact, the only thing he has to offer is him falling asleep as the torch passes through the the halves of the animals, signaling God's promise to Abraham that he would make a brand new people for himself. And that's beautiful because Paul's going to take that idea and he's just going to kind of unpack what that means for you and I today. One of the things that I find is so common in our human nature is this desire to want to justify ourselves. You know what I mean by that? 
where you want to prove that you are worthy or you want to prove maybe some claim against you is wrong. Ever been in a situation like that? Maybe you have a disagreement with a friend and immediately you kind of downshift into showing all of your legal claims as to why your friend is wrong. Uh, I remember a number of years ago uh, having a disagreement with a friend and and we were kind of going back and forth. They would lay their claim against me. I laid my claim against them. We just kind of went back and forth, back and forth. Until finally, uh, we ended up uh, kind of did this in multiple different uh, times together. Until finally, the last time that we were together, every time I tried to speak, I couldn't. Now, that's frustrating, isn't it? Like, every time you try to talk, you just can't. And I remember after about the third time trying to speak, it was almost as if the Lord was just telling me, be quiet. Stop trying to justify yourself and let me justify you. That's hard to do, isn't it? I mean, Everything in us wants to be the greatest defense attorney possible to prove that we are right and everyone else is wrong. And we've experienced that a lot over the last year and a half, haven't we? Whether it's politics or your view on COVID or whatever it is that you're doing, everything arises in us to want to prove that what we say is true and the way we're living our life is right and everyone else should submit to our way. And yet the reality is, is none of that works. It's it's exhausting, isn't it? Because all you end up doing is you end up in this spiral of trying to prove yourself and you have nothing in yourself to prove that you're better. And in fact, if you thought you did. Just listen to the sermons over the last couple of months where Paul has taken the first three, two and a half to three chapters saying that you and I have nothing to present before God to the point that he climaxes in Romans 3.23 where he says, for all have sinned. Not some, not some days, but all of us have sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And so the reality is, is that we need a justification. We need something to declare to us we are right, we are approved, but we can't find it in ourselves. And this morning, Paul's going to really kind of bang that drum and, and if you will, bang our heads so that we might understand that we must stop trying to gain our justification and instead start trusting God's justification. We need to stop trying to gain our way of acceptance, our way of approval, our way of showing that we are worthy. We just need to lay that down, stop trying to gain our way and instead just trust That God's way is for us. That God's way is wonderful news. That God's way is just life-giving. And so with that, let's go ahead and read our passage this morning. And as we do, would you stand with me as we read God's word? You need to hear the word of God. Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 37, as, as he sees this valley of dry bones, the Lord just says, speak my word. Because it's his word that gives life. And so this morning we're going to stand realizing that we need to receive the word of God to give us life today. So Romans chapter 4 starting in verse 1. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham our forefather according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. (laughs) But not before God. For what does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. 
And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who, without, who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised who are not merely circumcised but also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. So we've been looking at the, the letter to the church at Rome. Paul has never met this church. Paul had a radical transformation where he went from killing Christians to now starting churches filled with Christians, and now he wants to go to the other side of the Roman Empire, to Spain, and so he's writing to this church to say, hey, here's the faith that I have. Here's the good news of Jesus. Do you agree with me? If you do, I want to come. So I want to encourage you, I want you to encourage me, and I want you to support me. Because there's nothing greater, church, there's nothing greater than to know Jesus Christ and then through knowing him to support the work of God expanding throughout our world. And so Paul wants to partake in that. He wants his church to, to join in that. And so all throughout the letter, he is trying to show us how do we become right with God? How are we justified where God declares us righteous and we are given eternal life. And now this morning, Paul is going to kind of show us four ways or four reasons, really, why we should not trust in our justification, but rather trust in God's justification. You see the difference there, right? It's, it's one thing for me to say, man, you did a good job. Like, uh, you know, think about your job. You know, it's one thing for me to walk into your job and say, you did a good job. Now, if you're actually discerning, you might think, wait, you have no idea what my job is like. You have no idea how to fix this piece of equipment. You have no idea what it means to sell something. Like, you don't do that, so how can you tell me I did a good job? It's meaningless. It's pointless. But when the God of the universe comes and he says, well done. When the God of the universe comes and says, you are my son, you are my daughter because you believed in Jesus Christ, there's no other declaration we should be longing for but that. And that changes everything. So look at, let's look at these four uh, reasons as to why we should not trust our or others' declaration but trust the declaration of Jesus Christ. And the first is that God's justification is independent of our works. It is independent of our works. And that is hard for us, isn't it? We're Americans. We pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We have a mantra that where we look at other people and say, they're a good person. And yet, what did Paul tell us in Romans 3? In Romans 3, starting in verse 10, he says, no one is righteous. Not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. 
No one does good, not even one. And you don't have to be a Bible scholar to understand that includes everybody. And so we see the reality of what Paul is trying to hammer through to our brains that we are born with this nature that is against the Lord. Born with this sinful nature. Listen to how our statement of faith describes this. Under the doctrine of man, we say as a church, by free choice, man sinned against God, speaking of Adam, and brought sin into the human race. Through the temptation of Satan, man transgressed, he went against the command of God, and he fell from his original innocence. He fell from the state of sinlessness, whereby his posterity, his children, inherit a nature corrupt and opposed to God and his law and are under condemnation, and as soon as they are capable of moral action, become actual transgressors. What what are we saying? We're saying that by nature, because Adam sinned, you and I sinned. We'll see that in Romans 5, starting in verse 12, that by nature of Adam, it comes to us. And so we're not good. And yet that's hard, because so often we want to base our entire life upon what we can do. We want to kind of put a resume of our life together and show, hey, look at me. I'm worthy. And Paul says, no. Because notice, that's essentially the train of thought that Paul is going on here. Through the first three chapters, he's showing that that none of us are worthy, and yet the religious Jews are like, hey, time out, time out. I like, we received the law. We've been trying to obey the law. Isn't that good enough? And notice what Paul does in Romans 4, starting in verse 1. He actually doesn't answer the question at all. Well, what does he do instead? He goes back to the Jews' uh, own history. And he grabs the one who started it all. And he says, look at him. Look at verse 1. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham? There was no Jewish people until God chose Abraham. Now imagine this. God chose Abraham, a pagan man. We read in Genesis 11... The world is wicked, it's evil, they're trying to make a name for themselves, and so they build this massive tower, and God comes down, he's like, oh, that's cute. He knocks it over, scatters the people. And in the middle of that, he comes to Abraham, not because he is religious, not because he's obedient, not because he has anything to offer, but he comes to Abraham, and he chooses a pagan man, and he says, even though you're 75 years old, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. <laughs> and his wife was 65, and they had no kids. Women, I know some of you are in your 40s, and you're like, I couldn't have a kid now, let alone in your 60s. Any, well, I won't have you raise your hand, but any woman in their 60s or older think, I want to start this process. Right? You're like, no, I'm done. And God says, yeah, I'm coming. And then he makes him wait 25 years. And he brings him away from the land of Haran to this brand new land. And he says, this is the place I'm going to give you. This is where I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham had nothing to offer. It wasn't like God was looking down and thinking, oh, who can I draft first? Oh, Abraham, man, he's, he's got great skill here. Like, he's got all of the components I want for my first draft pick. No, he, he was a, an ungodly man who God came and rescued and gave life. But notice what happened. We saw this last week, right? Uh, when God came and gave him life, he promised them to have descendants as many as the stars of the sky. And it wasn't until Genesis 17 that God then comes to Abraham and says, now that you have trusted, now that you have believed my promise, now I will give you a sign. And that sign is circumcision. Uh, Hopefully you understand what that means. I don't want to go into that. But He gives them this sign of circumcision, right? 
It's not that he had to be circumcised in order to get the promise. It's that he believed the promise. And the sign for that was to be circumcised. You know, so often in our area, if we're not careful, we can often view baptism almost as the way to be right with God. When baptism isn't a way to be right with God, it's just a sign that God has already made us right with him. That's why here we don't stress that baptism saves you in any way. It's just a declaration that you are united to Christ and that you are united to Christ's bride, the church. That's why we wait for baptism, even for our little ones. We want to make sure that they are making that declaration, uniting to Christ and uniting to Christ's bride on their own. Because we don't believe that that would save them. But it's just a declaration of what God has already done. And we see that, that, that the Lord is, or Paul is showing the, the order here, here. And yet you can just imagine the Jews coming to this and saying, whoa, 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 what, what role does the law play? Well, notice what Paul says in verse 2. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. Kids, you might have this at times, right? You know, you do something really good, especially if you have siblings or other people in the house. You do something really good, and what do you want, right? You want your mom or you want your dad to kind of give you a pat on the back. All right, good job, right? Adults were like this too, right? We, we look at the world and we think about all those people doing terrible things and we start to compare them with our life and we say, I'm doing pretty good. So we might puff out our chests a little bit and just kind of walk like we are better than others. Because we want someone to declare to us, man, man, look at how moral he is. Look at his family. Look at her life. It just seems put together. It's almost like we are looking for ways to boast. And, and this is just what social media is all the time, isn't it? If we're not careful, we can use social media as our own resume to boast about how worthy we are. Ooh. It's our way of trying to find justification in the world. And so we might post about how great we are, or we might post about how terrible someone else is, not thinking that it is our way of trying to grab for glory rather than resting in the glory of Jesus Christ. It reminds me of Luke chapter 18. Uh, there you will find a parable that Jesus tells. In verses 9 to 14, Jesus tells this parable of how he's going to the temple. And as he goes to the temple, he sees two men. One is a religious guy. He grew, he grew up in a religious home. He ended up becoming a religious leader called a Pharisee. And as, he, as he's there, he walks in. He kind of takes a look at the scene. And he sees this other dude way over there. And he says, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you that you have not made me like other men. Thank you that you've not made me an extorter. Thank you that you've not made me unjust, an adulterer, or even like that man, a tax collector. Thank you, Lord, for how awesome I am. And he thinks he's pretty good. And then the tax collector, the one who was going against God's people, the one who was unjust, the one who was an extorter, the one who was uh, sinful and rebellious, all he did was drop to his knees and beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me. You know what Jesus said? He said, it's that one that went home justified. Because it's that one that understood his standing before God and understood that the only thing he has to brag about is his sin. And the only thing he can do is plead for mercy and grace from the Father. And Jesus says, that's the one that's justified. 
not the religious guy. And yet so often, if we're not careful, it's so easy for us to be the religious one, isn't it? Man, we come in here every week, we read our Bibles, we go to a a group throughout the week, whatever it is. And it's so easy for us to start to think, man, I'm, I'm pretty good. Turn on the news, man, I'm not like them. Whew, look at me. We become self-righteous. Start thinking that we are better than everyone else. And the reality is, is we, we often are people who have a, our ladders lean up against the wrong wall. Ever heard that story before? Thomas Merton, a, a, a churchman hundreds of years ago, said so often we have these ladders of, ladders of success that we're trying to climb to prove how wonderful we are. And we get to the top and we realize it's been leaning against the wrong wall the whole time. And so often we have our ladders leaning leaning against the wall of comparison with others. Not the wall of Jesus Christ. Because if it was leaning against the wall of Jesus Christ, we would be terrified to climb that first rung. And so church, we've got to be a people who recognize that, that our works can't do anything. I mean, because notice what he says at the end of verse 2. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. He's got nothing to boast before God. Well, why is that? Look at verse 4. He says, now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. You know, so often we, we do some good things and we think that, look at us, we deserve praise. We deserve the Lord to say, man, I'm so glad they're on my team. You know, when I was in college, we had this, uh, we had this saying, D's get degrees. Maybe you had that as well. And so what essentially we were saying is that as long as you did the bare minimum, you were fine. And when that diploma came out, It didn't matter if you got an A or a D, you did the bare minimum, you're good, awesome. And so often we kind of have that mentality in the Christian life, like as long as I do the bare minimum, that's awesome. And what Paul is saying, even if you got an A+, even if you're one of those kids, I never understood that you could get over 100%, all you're offering to God is what is due to God. You're not giving him anything above and beyond. That's the bare minimum. And so, so often we kind of lower the standards for ourselves. We lower the standards for everyone else around us. And we say, well, you're a good person. You tried hard. You just made a mistake. No, the Bible says that we're sinful. We sinned against a holy and awesome God. And that none of our works even come close. So we've got to really take a look at our lives and say, what are the things that we're trusting in? What are the things that we are looking to? What are the ways in which we are comparing ourselves with one one another? You know, it's interesting that if you've actually looked at statistics lately, statistics, they say that anxiety and depression and suicide are skyrocketing. You ever thought why? There are scholars out there that are now starting to find the links. It's because our use of media is going through the roof. You see, 200 years ago, I maybe had about 50 people in my town that I could compare myself to. You have 5 billion in your pocket. And there's always going to be somebody better than you. And it is killing us, church. It is killing our souls. And Paul says, don't go there. Your works will never work. But we have a way out. That's what we see next. Is that God's justification is dependent on God's work. That there is a way 
forward. Look at what Paul says in verse 3. He quotes scripture. He says, what does scripture say? That's from Genesis 15, 6 that we saw last week. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham offered nothing to God. All he did was take God at his word for 25 years. I don't know about you, I get frustrated having to wait for the microwave for 25 seconds. And Abraham had to wait 25 years for God's promise to come through. And yet because he believed, because he trusted It wasn't that he had great courage, it was that he based his entire life upon Jesus Christ. He based his entire life upon God and his word, and because he did that, that, it was counted to him as righteousness. Where God looked and approved and declared him to be right. Church, is that how you live? Like when you look at your life, is Jesus the the central figure in your entire life? Is he the one that you're saying, I'm basing everything on? And when he calls me to take steps of faith, I'm following him, even if it's uncomfortable. So often we just want to make people feel comfortable, right? Oh, that, that that might make him feel uncomfortable. Man, going to the cross of Jesus Christ is very uncomfortable. Because we have to admit that we have sinned and we have failed to follow God. And we have to trust someone outside of ourselves. And sometimes that trust is like a dark room where we can barely see the next step in front of us, isn't it? Now some of us are going through difficult seasons right now where we're saying, Lord, I have no idea what you're doing, why you're doing it. I'm just trusting you. That's what... Abraham did. And Paul said that was counted to him as righteousness. That we can trust the Lord no matter what. Because notice what the Lord does, starting in verse 5. Paul says that, And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Notice what Abraham and notice what we are now called to do. We are called to trust the one who justifies the ungodly, the one who all we have to offer is rebellion against God. And we are now trusting that God will, through Jesus, and we'll see that in a moment, but through Jesus, declare us to be right. Declare us to be right with God. And Paul doesn't just show us Abraham as an example. He then goes to David, the famous king of Israel. Notice what he says in verse 6. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Then he quotes Psalm 32. This is just beautiful. Look at what he says. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose whose sins are covered. Blessed are those, those who do not deserve this uh, amazing grace, who do not deserve this forgiveness. Their sins are covered. You know, this word cover is is the same word that, that is used in Genesis to describe the the covering of the water over the earth in Noah's flood. And it's the same word used in Habakkuk 2.14 when it says that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. Man, talk about a covering. Like there's no way out from that. That's the blessing that we give, that we are given by Jesus Christ when he forgives our sins. They are wiped clean. A a few months back, I was having lunch with a friend, and I had forgot my wallet, and so he said, hey, don't worry about it. I'll cover you. Now imagine every single moment of every single day, someone saying, hey, don't worry about it. I'll cover you. 
That's exactly what the Lord is doing. Every second of every day, he is covering our sins with forgiveness. And then he says in verse 8 that blessed is the man in whom, uh, against whom the Lord will not count sins. But how does he do this? We're going to see in January in, in Romans 5, 8 that this is done, that while we were still sinners, while we had nothing but our sin to offer Jesus, he came. God demonstrated his love. He showed and displayed his love. He didn't just say he loved us. You know, sometimes we'll, we'll say flippant things that we don't mean. God's not saying something that's flippant that he doesn't mean. Oh, I love you. Yeah. No, no, no. I love you so much, I'm going to demonstrate it. And the way I'm going to demonstrate it is sending my sinless son to die. To absorb the wrath of God so we might be set free. You see, our sins are covered because the blood of Jesus Christ has covered them and wiped the slate clean. And now Paul is saying that the way that we are right with God is by us trusting in the work of Jesus Christ and that we need to be a people who are basing our life and building our life upon Jesus' work and not upon our own work. Now think about how freeing that would be, church, if we actually believe that. My guess is, if we're honest, many of us in here are probably pretty exhausted. We, maybe we had a few days off for Thanksgiving, but we're still pretty tired, pretty exhausted. And I wonder if some of the reason for that is because we've created patterns and cycles in our life where we just run at a frantic and hectic pace. And I wonder if it's not a matter of us having many activities outside the home. Maybe not many activities with others inside the home. But maybe it's because we have a lot of activity in our hand, on our screens. I've been reading a book in the last couple of days called Deeper by Dane Ortland, same author as Gentle and Lowly book. If you didn't receive, we want to give you. It's amazing book, but in that book he said, we often miss the glory of Jesus Christ because we do not take time to slow down and stop and disconnect from the world and just see Jesus. When's the last time you did that? No phone, no TV, just enjoying Jesus. My guess is if you're like me, you get to about second six or seven, and your mind's like, ooh, I should look at that. Ooh, I need to go do that. And we're back into the hectic pace of life. And the reality is we do all of that. We are at this frantic pace because we believe by accomplishing or by knowing that maybe we will be enough. But if we miss out, maybe... We're not enough. And Paul says, just embrace the reality that you're not enough. But rather trust the reality that Jesus is. And that would free me up. Like I don't have to be involved in a million things. I can just rest in the Lord and just be free to serve him, free to love him, and to care for those around me that God has placed me in relationship for. So I want to challenge you this week to just get some uninterrupted time, just you and Jesus. The world's going to continue to spin. <laughs> Don't worry. I think that's why God created sleep, right? He's, he's, he's telling us for a third of your life, a third of your day, you need to stop because you're not at the center of the world. It'll continue to spin without you. So let's just stop and trust the Lord and his work. Because when we do that and when we're grounded there, we begin to see Paul's third point, And that is God's justification comes before our work. 
Now, we've seen this before, right? That order matters. I, I think I told you this story a few weeks back that when I was in Ghana, Africa, I started feeling sick and I went to the doctor. You've got to love their process because you go to the doctor's room, he, he looks at you and he says, okay, he declared to me you have malaria. Here's your papers. Go over there, pay for the doctor's visit. When you're done, go get your medicine. When you're done, go get tested to see if you have malaria. And as a good American, I just got to stop. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Why, why are we shoving a nid- needle? We're in Africa. Why are we shoving a needle from Africa into my arm when you already know I have malaria? Shouldn't you have tested me before to see if I actually have it? Order matters. And Paul's showing us here the order matters. Look at verse 9. He says, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? He's asking, did Jesus just die and rise from the dead and grant salvation to the Jews only? No. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Look at verse 10. He says, how then was it counted to him? Was it before or was it after he had been circumcised? It wasn't after, but before he was circumcised. He's saying the order matters. That it's faith in God, and then it is obedience. That his circumcision happened after he trusted and believed in Jesus Christ. And if it's the case for Abraham, the father of the Jews, wouldn't that be the case for everyone? Wouldn't that be the same story for you and I? That we must trust in Jesus first before? Then what's the point of circumcision? Why, why go through this painful process for guys if it's all by faith? Well, remember what circumcision was. It was a separation, a setting apart for the people of God. To show that I am united to God. Much like baptism is a setting apart for the people of God. Saying, I'm united to God and I'm united to his people. Because look at what Paul says in verse 11. He said, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. All it was was a seal. Right? If you've gotten married, you recognize that the, the wedding ring really doesn't do a whole lot. If I can get it off my finger, it doesn't really do a whole lot, right? It's not like this medal made me married. No, it was the commitment, it was the declaration of I do, the signing of the paper that that married us, but the ring is just a sign to remind me, to remind my wife, and to tell everybody else, off limits. Take it. Circumcision, baptism, just a sign to tell the world, off limits. Taken by Jesus Christ. It's not to establish our faith, it's because our faith has already been established. And man, that, that should make us incredibly joyful. It should cause us to be a kind of people that are just freed to worship, freed to serve Jesus. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ in here this morning, Paul is just offering to you the opportunity. All you have to do is come to faith and trust in Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to go through any steps. You have to trust and believe that you can't do it, but Jesus did it for you. And receive him. But for the rest of us, we might believe that, but we forget it, don't we? And that's why we gather each week. We don't gather just to kind of check a box. We gather to remind one another that Jesus is Lord and that he is rescued and he's given us life. That's why we sing. Do you ever realize that? That's why we sing. 
There's something to the fact that when you go to a concert or when you go to a sporting event, that there's a, a different feel, a different energy, and sometimes even a, a level of excitement that you didn't have before for that team or that, that band that happens when we're together. And the same thing happens on a Sunday. That's why we sing our heart's affection. That's why we put the songs in the bulletin. That's why we have a Spotify account. We want you to know these songs so that when you come in here, you might be one of the greatest evangelists to my heart and to the hearts of others by just singing boldly that Jesus is Lord, that he is King of kings and Lord of lords. So we've got to be a people who are just trusting. We've got to be a people who are reminding each other, pointing each other back to who Jesus Christ is. Because he justifies before we do work. And that leads us to the last point that we see. God's justification comes to all who lay down their work. Paul's now inviting us in to say, hey, lay down your views. Lay down your thoughts. Lay down what you're trusting in. Man, the world is telling you right now that you should hope in politics. I wasn't out in California long before I started to hear, well, you should be voting for this person, or you should believe, you know, aren't you glad about this, or aren't you... Maybe the winds change, so do the political winds. And so often we're being told, base your life upon what you see politically. And Paul says, no, 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 lay all that down. Base your life on what you see eternally. And that's Jesus reigning as Lord over all. Notice what he says in halfway through verse 11. The reason for... All of this work that God did through Abraham, the purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So that righteousness would be counted to them as well. Paul's saying, hey, God did all of this work through Jesus and he did this work in this order through Abraham to prove that it's not your work that makes you right. So if you have no works to offer if you come in here and you think, man, my life is a mess. Man, I want to obey, but every second I'm just rebelling against the Lord. Paul said all of this was done so that you and I who cannot obey might believe and have a righteousness accounted to you and I as well. And then he says in verse 12, and to make him, Abraham, the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the father, uh, that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. He's just saying, hey, whether you have good works or whether your life is a mess, all of us come to the cross of Jesus Christ the same. Poor and needy of salvation. Poor and needy of rescue. Poor and needy of grace. And notice, God cares about our heart. So often we think God cares about the externals that we do when the reality of what Paul is showing us is that, that God cares about our heart, even those who walk in the footsteps of faith. Church, if, if we actually believe that, I think it would change the way we come in here on a Sunday. If I actually believe that, I could come up here and preach God's word out of joy not caring whether you think it's a good sermon or not, but just free to, to unpack God's word. You can come up here and, and sing and play and set up, not caring what other people think of you, 
but caring because Jesus, God through Jesus Christ, has already approved you. And what kind of church might we be if we, if we actually understood that our performance doesn't justify, but it's Jesus' performance that has already declared us right with God. So let me ask you, whose work are you trusting in? Are you trusting in yours? You know how you know that? When it's being taken from you, or when there is a threat of it being taken from you, you feel like you're losing a part of yourself. And it might even cause you to get angry. Or are you trusting in the Lord, knowing that it is the Lord that gives, and it's the Lord, Lord that takes away, and you know that you're trusting in the Lord, when no matter what happens, the refrain in your hearts, your mind, and your mouth is to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, thank you for your word, how good it is, how refreshing that we don't have to be somebody that we're not. We don't, we don't have to somehow clean ourselves up, but the reality is that you make us right. And so, Father, I pray that for, for those of us who are still so entrenched in our works, so entrenched in our performance, so entrenched in, in trying to get our own approval, Lord, I pray that we might let go of that this morning and that we might sing joyfully because we have been given life with you. And Father, for those of us who, who already have life with you, but maybe we've grown cold, we've weakened, wobbled, wandered in our faith, would you remind us that it doesn't matter where we feel like we are, it matters solely where Jesus was and is and will be in the future. Father, we pray in your son's precious name. Amen.